0: Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny One Piece podcast. Sorry about my voice today, I've been dealing with some serious allergies. Um, so I've been sneezing and coughing a lot. But on this episode, we're going to be diving into episodes 397 through 399, which will cover manga chapters 503 through 506. And we get to see the aftermath of Luffy's awesome yet foolish act of retaliating against a celestial dragon. Alright, on to the synopsis. Following the shocking turn of events from the last episode of Luffy decking a celestial dragon in the face, now the fallout of that earth-shattering action is about to fall upon everyone on the island. Luffy, Law, and Kid, as well as their respective crews, now all need to flee before the Marines, including Admiral Kizaru, arrive. Okay, so differences. There aren't actually that many differences. Most of them just kind of extended fight sequences, so get some extra fight scenes in the auction house with all the straw hats getting a little bit more action we also get a short scene of Rayleigh stealing a bag of money and this was added in the anime um this is actually referenced in the manga we just don't get to see it so I think this is definitely just added to make it so that the time fits and then lastly the way Robin Brooke and Usopp drop into the auction house has also been slightly elongated and alter it a bit. But yeah, again, this is presumably done for time. And also there is a another slight difference, is uh so usop gets rammed off the roof by the fish um rather than in the manga, the writer actually put shoves him down with his own hand. I'm not entirely sure why this was changed. I think I like it better with the fish pushed him. Um, so yeah, again I, I like the anime version of this better, but it seems like a really unnecessary change. I guess it was more of a creative decision. But, yeah. Anyways, that's it for the differences. So, yeah, like I said, not, not too many. So, let's just get into the episode itself. So, picking up right after the last episode's insane ending, the entire place is in utter shock that someone would dare beat the hell out of a celestial dragon. Of course, the only people who are amused by this are the other two pirate captains, Kid and Law, interestingly enough. And as I mentioned in the, past, uh, in the past episode, I do like that Luffy here apologizes to the crew for putting a target on their back, but it's nice to see that they don't even think about that as they're all ready to fight alongside Luffy to help Hachi and Kami. Of course, all hell breaks loose with people freaking out and fleeing, knowing that if they stay there, the marines are going to show up and blow everything to hell to punish those who would dare harm the Celestial Dragons. One continuity error I noticed in the manga that they fix in the anime is that when Robin drops out of her flying fish, she's not wearing her hat, but the next time you see her, she's got her hat on. And so the anime actually adds the hat back in when she is jumping out of the the flying fish, which is a very rare misstep in the manga, especially in the tankoban. Like, Sometimes there are mistakes in the shonen jump uh, release, the the one that actually releases chapter by chapter in the shonen jump magazine, and then they would actually go back and fix certain things in the the volume tankobon releases. But this one they didn't fix, so I'm not entirely sure if that was intentional or if maybe Robin had her hat. Somewhere else? I mean, I don't know where it could be other than this was a mistake that they just never fixed. But anyways, I thought that was interesting. Also, one thing that isn't really a change, but that was a missed opportunity, I feel like, is showing the full shot of Us- Usopp's ass hitting um Roswald's, he- or Roswald's head. So in the manga, that panel is actually stretched further horizontally. So you can clearly see Usopp's ass slowly crushing the back of Roswald's head and by extension, like you can see the sunglasses crushing as well. And it's a really funny image. And I wished I could have seen that moment sort of like in slow-mo in the anime. Whereas you kind of get that. But all you do is get a really close-up shot of, of Roswald's face. And then you can see the sunglasses cracking. But you don't actually see Usopp's like, butt like coming up against his back of his head. So I thought that was kind of a missed opportunity. But anyways, it's here we get to hear Trafalgar Law speak for, I believe, the first, well, no, probably like the second time. And he's probably got one of the, the smoothest and coolest voices in the business as he's voiced by Hiroshi Kamiya, which, who's a veteran in the voice acting community. But his two most famous roles are probably Law here. And then also, for most people, Levi Ackerman from Attack on Titan, both like very kind of stoic, cool guys. Who are very powerful. Both Law and Kid seem incredibly calm and not at all worried about the fact that they're surrounded by marines with an admiral on the way. Adding to their sort of mystique and cool factor. And at this point you begin to realize that these two are going to be Luffy's primary rivals among the, um, the supernovas. Perhaps even adversaries from this new rookie pirate class. I do remember how hype I was to see more of these two and how they'd fit into this, the overall story. But in all the chaos, uh, Charlia, the female celestial dragon, Charlos's brother, gets the jump on everyone and has a gun to Kami and is thr- threatening to just kill her out of spite for the Straw Hats. And unfortunately, no one is close enough to be able to stop her before she pulls the trigger. But then she just all of a sudden passes out out of nowhere Of course, we all know pretty much what just happened. Rayleigh has activated his Haki again. And this man is crazy. He just waltzes into an active battle and just starts talking all casually. And it really says something about how much of a level difference he's on and how casually he kind of acts around all these people. He then uses Haki again to wipe out the remaining antagonistic forces with just his willpower. And you really get a sense of the, again, that difference when you compare it to the fact that Luffy's Haki was only able to slightly pass out the Motobolo, but Rayleigh wipes out an entire room with ease. And even more impressive, you know, is how he seems to be able to aim it so it only affects the people he actually wants it to hit. And so you see none of the Straw Hats, Kami, Pug, or Hachi affected by it. Naturally, this causes a panic across the whole island. Interestingly, among both the lawless people, like the criminals and pirates, but also just the regular citizens as well, this shows us that even among the normal people, they know that when it comes to the Celestial Dragons, the marines aren't there to protect the people. They are solely there to do their bidding without much regard for even the normal citizens, which is really sad when you kind of think about it. This is, of course, contrasted rather ironically or hypocritically if you think about it, with the shot of the giant kanji for justice or seigi on the back of our newest character reveal of Admiral Kizaru. We don't actually get to see his entire face, but Kizaru is a very interesting character. First off, like we mentioned in the past, when he was first mentioned by Robin back on Long Ring Long Land, this is Japanese for yellow monkey. Ki, you know, being yellow, and zaru or saru being monkey, so kizaru, yellow monkey, it gets that z sound when you put a prefix in front of uh, the word saru or monkey. And of course, the three admirals' epithets are all references to the Japanese folklore story Momotaro, where the main character Momotaro befriends a pheasant, a dog, and a monkey on his journey. Hence, we get blue pheasant or aokiji, red dog, akainu, or Um, Yellow Monkey, Kizaru. And so, yeah, they're all sort of a reference to that. Now, his design is apparently based on the late Japanese actor Kunie Tanaka, and more specifically, a character he played from a very old and classic Japanese movie called Truck Yaro. He, like Aokiji, is a very tall and thin man, and also a bit on the laid-back side. But unlike Aokiji, who's sort of more that lazy feeling, Kizaru is almost laid back because he, he's sort of got this absent-minded quality, which is kind of terrifying when you, when, when it comes to someone who supposedly has an admiral level of insane power. Because, you it yeah, he comes across as very laid back, but at the same time, you don't quite know where he's actually going to aim that power because of how laid back and absent-minded he is. Now, you might recognize Kizaru's voice because he has been in a ton of anime. And he is played by the late, great Unsho Ishizuka. Some of his most famous roles are, obviously, Jet from Cowboy Bebop, Professor Oak or Okido from Pokemon, the Japanese version, of course. He's also Momochi Zabuza from Naruto. He's the second voice actor for Mr. Satan, um, or Mr. Satan, however you want to pronounce that, from the Dragon Ball Kai version. And Dragon Ball Super. And then he's also Detective Nakamori from Detective Conan. And I love this guy's voice work. And it's sad we lost him way too soon at the age of 68 to cancer. Because I always really enjoyed his performances and all of his characters. Because I pretty much grew up with all of these voices. Now before we get back to the main action, we get a very unexpected and incredibly off-kilter scene... Well, we learned that Disco was working for Doflamingo and that this human shop was Doflamingo's himself and run by his sort of criminal empire and pirate crew. It's not surprising that someone like Doflamingo would be involved in human trafficking. But what's really strange is the incredibly cryptic thing he says about how human trafficking is old news and that the new age is all about smiles. Like... What the hell does that even mean? I remember at the time, no one knew what the heck he was talking about because we all knew this wasn't something, some sort of a change of heart, benevolent thing where he was going to start spreading happiness and joy all over the place. So him saying it's all about smiles was a very strange thing. And this actually wouldn't get more elaborated on till much later, like years later So yeah, I'll touch upon this in the spoiler section a little bit. But moving on, back at the stage really somehow removes the exploding collar by just ripping it off in an instant in the, and in the anime for some reason, it tries to make this a mystery even though it literally shows it to us after the commercial break, which I thought was strange, but kind of makes sense I guess when you're watching it on TV for, you know, while it's being broadcasted because there is actually a five minute commercial break. So maybe it kind of makes you want to stick around for that. But it still doesn't really explain how he did it. And in fact, we don't actually get a full explanation until much, much, much later on. Like I'm talking like all the way up until the most recent Wano arc, Um, which is kind of crazy to think about. But yeah, it's just crazy that sort of the, again, Oda's long-form storytelling... One other thing I wanted to mention about this scene is how even though everyone is freaking out about Rayleigh touching the collar for fear of it engaging, Luffy just kind of stands there watching as if he knows to let it play out and that they probably can trust this man. Again, showing Luffy's sort of innate ability to read people. And I like that little touch. I love the, the little dialogue from Rayleigh that he is in fact able to aim his hockey only at those he wishes as he says to Law and Kid that he didn't realize they were just observing pirates and apologizes for trying to inadvertently knock them out as well. But it also tells us that Haki can be countered, or at least withstood, with equally strong willpower, which it seems Law and Kid possess. Although if you actually go back and watch that moment from the last episode, uh, in the anime you can actually see a brief shot of Law struggling a bit under the pressure of Rayleigh's Haki and uh this is this moment isn't included in the manga but i kind of do like it that it's there in the anime i love how we're in the thick of it now and and how oda is starting to develop and tease a whole new power system apart from the devil fruits i know there are portions of the community that didn't and still don't like the introduction of haki but i personally think it was a great addition like do I think it's perfect? No. I, I there there are definitely issues with it for sure, both narratively and from a story perspective as well. But I I, I think it for the most part, on a thematic level, this concept of and, and sort of this power makes a lot of sense in One Piece because of the running theme of willpower and spirit embodied especially by Luffy and his crew, like how you see when, when they're in their most dire moments or their most like toughest battles like you see that willpower is what you know often edges them out but yeah I I like this inclusion it's a it's a very appropriate sort of power structure however before we can know any more about Rayleigh they need to worry about escaping the surrounded auction house and by the way I can't help but notice how because (laughs) because of how the two holes in the roof where Robin Brooke and Usopp all came in and then, sort of the triangular awning, the auction house kind of looks like a sad face when it looks when you look at it from that one particular um, overhead shot. It's just something I noticed. It it has nothing to do with anything, nor does it have a meaning. But I just thought it was funny. But as always, something I personally look forward to and love seeing. And no matter where the straw hats go, they they keep sort of increasing their allies. You know, their support by helping people. And we see that giant that Rayleigh escaped with and the other would-be slaves are all thankful and pledging to repay them if the situation ever arises to the Straw Hats. And the reason why I love this is because, you know, with Oda, this will come back and be paid off somehow in the story somewhere. So it's always something to look forward to. But also Usopp taking all the credit is hilarious as Chopper points out that he didn't do shit to help these people. (laughs) And then it's here we get the birth of a brand new trio. Kid antagonizes the other two by boasting that he can take on the Marines all by himself, which based just on pride doesn't sit well with Law or Luffy, creating a rivalry between the three. And this is such an awesome trio that we all kind of anticipated as they've all been built up to be this fearsomely strong pirate captain trio. And we don't even know what powers Kid and Law have, But thankfully, we won't have to wait too long to find out. Although one thing I wish is, as awesome as this moment is, this episode is so poorly animated, it's kind of distracting. Like, everything looks so flat, off, like, proportion, undetailed, and very stiff. I, you know, for such, like, an iconic moment, like, these three coming together for the first time, this this anime episode is just done so badly it looks terrible um so yeah that's my one little gripe about this episode the marines though they immediately attack the three and we get to see their powers on full display i'll start with kid first as he's the easiest to describe he's essentially the magneto of one piece controlling magnetism which given how powerful we know magneto is in the marvel universe it makes sense that kid is also super powerful So the name of his fruit is not revealed for a very long time. In fact, over 500 chapters and episodes. But I'll tell you because the reason why we don't learn it for so long is actually kind of hilarious. It's not due to some desire to create some mystery around it. It is simply due to Oda forgetting that he never revealed it. And so he mentions it in an SBS in volume 99. And keep in mind at this point, this part of this story happens in volume 52. And so a good like 40 volumes later. And, you know, often as we like to think that Oda is like this genius that has all this stuff in his mind, Oda still makes mistakes. And it's pretty funny that he just completely forgot to mention kid's uh, Devil Fruit name. And so, yeah, also... I'm going to toot my own horn because I guessed the name of this fruit long before it was revealed. Not that it was all that hard, since he's all about magnetism and the word for that in Japanese is jiki. So it was pretty obvious that it was going to be called the jiki jiki no mi, or the magnetism magnetism fruit. Now Law, on the other hand, is a far more interesting power set, as I really had no idea what he was actually doing, or what sort of the theming behind his power was at the time. He seems to create some sort of spatial room where anyone in it can be cut up, but they're not actually being cut, but more like separated as there's no real wound and he can then reattach them in any way he likes and or to any other object he wants. And yeah, I had no idea what his powers actually were. And honestly, I would have never been able to figure it out without being told what it was. It is a pretty cool power though. I I can see why it can be incredibly oppressive to fight against law because what happens if he catches you in that room, like you're done for. Um especially if you get separated into little pieces like that. And I can imagine he can also like create really different crazy things to sort of attack you with as well. But yeah, it'll be interesting to learn more about Law's powers and believe me, his powers are pretty cool once you start learning and how when once Oda starts to develop it because yeah I love Law's devil fruit to be honest it's this isn't even touching this or scratching the surface of what Law can do and it's plain to see why these guys are considered such a big deal as they are all incredibly powerful but we'll soon see soon see the the other rookies are also just as capable and uh, maybe not quite to these three level but you can tell that these three are going to be significant in the story based on how they're built up here in the beginning, almost faded to meet again. Something I like that Oda does here with Kid and Law is that even though these are pirates and rivals to Luffy, and even, you know, obviously they're not quite as sort of the righteous feeling as the Straw Hats, he makes sure to portray them not as bad as your usual villains. As we see Kid, while seemingly the most quote-unquote evil looking of the three, still shows respect for Luffy when he declares that he'll become the Pirate King. And in the same vein, Law, when he frees uh, Jean-Bart from the Celestial Dragons, he actually gives credit, or at least partial credit, to the Strong Hats when when he didn't even need to do that, showing again a bit of respect to Luffy and his crew. These three crews will be very interesting to see how their relationship unfolds. And it seems like they've taken amusing you know, at least amusing interest in Luffy as well because of how eccentric he is. One other note about the way um, Law talks, because uh, I know a lot of people talk about this a lot, but you know, more specifically how he addresses and refers to people by adding the suffix "ya" to the end of their names. Now, I'll be honest; I myself don't know too much about this from a translation standpoint. But here's what I've been able to piece together from what I know of Japanese and what I can kind of infer from Oda's rationale. So first off, why does he speak like this? I think it's mostly to give a more defining individual trait to law. And as far as how it's translated, it's weird because he uses it in a very unique and unorthodox way. Like, no one talks like this in, 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 in Japanese but the word ya is added as a suffix to like a job or a personality trait. Like, for example, an assassin is called a "koroshiya," And koroshi meaning killer or to kill. So a killer ya is an assassin. Or another example in terms of the personality side of things, like tereya is a shy person. And the word tere or tereru is shy or to be shy so a tereya or a ya would be a shy person so it seems law just uses their names titles or defining traits as some kind of a verbal tick to remember people's names at least maybe that that's why he does it i mean that's kind of my own head canon, but yeah it is a very interesting way of speaking that law has of course we'll come to see that because of this a lot of other people will refer to Law as something else, but we'll get to that in, in later portions of the story. Also, speaking of Law, it's also here we finally get to see a bit of Law seemingly second-in-command Beppo, the talking polar bear. And it doesn't disappoint, as he seems to be sort of this kung fu martial artist. and And it's kind of a homage to, I feel like, Bruce Lee. While not colored yellow, he's got this brightly colored orange jumpsuit. And just screaming, you know, the the heah, And doing all these, like, hand-to-hand martial arts. And although maybe, uh, kind of, I guess you can kind of consider this a spoiler or not, but Beppo does sound a bit different here. He seems much more, like, reserved and kind of animalistic in this portrayal here. But he does go on to sound much more different and more animated and human-like later on. But he's voiced by the same person. It just seems like... There was a decision to change the way he was portrayed, and I do like how he sounds later on in the series. But going back and rewatching these episodes, I completely forgot that he sounded like this in the beginning. Um, which was very, which is very like a little shocking to hear because I guess it's been quite a few years since I've seen these episodes. But yeah, that was a that was kind of a shocker to me. But anyways, to close off these episodes. The Hats do manage to escape for the time being, but unfortunately, Law and Kid's crews, they run up against Kuma, who's all of a sudden on the island again, uh, or not again, but this time, and they're all shocked to see him there, although we know why he was able to get to that island so quickly, considering his powers, because he can just sort of warp himself places in an instant with his devil fruit. But yeah, things are really starting to heat up. Kuma is now on the island hunting pirates in addition to Kizaru, the Marine Admiral, who is on the way there too. The story is getting pretty intense, but the thing on everyone's mind at this point is what Luffy's interaction with Rayleigh is going to be like. What are they going to talk about? What will we learn about Roger and the One Piece? I mean, it's all some crazy stuff coming soon, so that'll be pretty exciting but we'll have to wait till the next episode. Anyways, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast for updates of when I post new episodes and to see some pictures of my manga collection. As always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. I'm going to have a somewhat short spoiler section, but if you're no, or if you're not interested in that, Stay safe out there and I hope to see you in the next episode. Bye. All right. So spoiler section. Yeah. Most of this obviously kind of surrounds law and kid kind of just, I don't know, reflecting on how much they've kind of impacted the story But I think first off, I kind of wanted to mention how sort of Law's characterization has sort of been slightly altered. Because you can tell that Oda kind of came up with these characters on the fly, especially Law. Because I don't think he had it in his head, like how big of a a role that Law would go on to have and sort of what role he would actually play. Because obviously post-time skip, Law definitely becomes more of a hero than anything he's definitely a good guy but I think you know earlier on in these episodes you kind of get the sense that like Law's a little bit more of a creepy sort of more adversarial personality compared to his later characterization like he's still got sort of the that moral ambiguity here that you don't quite see as much now in the story particularly um, after Punk Hazard. I mean, once you get to dress Rosa and all of that, you're, he's pretty much fully on entrenched as I would almost consider him an honorary straw hat, to be honest. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think it's very interesting to see sort of how Oda portrays Law here. And while he doesn't necessarily commit to one way or the other, he, he gives himself enough breathing room to go in either direction. But it is interesting, like... Especially in the last episode where he, like, you know, flicks uh, or flips um, Eustace kid off. You know, you you definitely can't quite see Law doing that anymore. But, I yeah, I think it's interesting how Law's sort of character was developed. And and it's really interesting to see him in these episodes again. And then speaking of the trio, like, I... I knew, you know, when I first read and saw these episodes, I knew that Law and Kid and Luffy, that trio, was going to be something big. But I didn't know that it would be so cool as what we got in Wano when all three of them came back together and they would basically create that tri- recreate that trio and, and sort of lead the raid on Wano. And then even to the point where Law and and Kid are basically teaming up to take on Big Mom and it was just kind of a really cool full full circle moment of seeing that, especially because right now those episodes are about to start um, where you see Law and Kid going up against Big Mom. So it'll be really cool to see that. And just having watched these episodes now and then fast forwarding and going to see those episodes, it is it is a very interesting and very cool feeling to see these three sort of back together. And then finally, that tease of Doflamingo with the smiles. This was so confusing at the time, but it makes a lot more sense. But also it's like, how the hell did Oda think about this this far in advance? Because we don't learn about the smile fruits until Punk Hazard, which had to have been at least like five years down the line. I haven't done the math. But I mean, obviously, in *Punk Hazard*, we learn about the Smile Fruits, we learn about the the SAD Factory, and it's just kind of nuts that he'd already been thinking about Do Flamingo's sort of backstory, his plans, and everything in basically like all of the New World. Because when you think about it, the whole premise of the of the post *Time Skip* story is predicated around this whole thing because it keeps building on each other because Doflamingo having Caesar Clown make the sad fruits or the, the smile fruits, which then leads into Dress Rosa with Doflamingo's whole, basically his whole arc with how he creates those things. And then we learn that he creates them for Kaido who buys them from Doflamingo. And then obviously that leads into Wano. So he, he essentially had to plan out Three full major arcs, (laughs) just based on this one little tease, it's kind of mind blowing to think about. Like even while I'm thinking about this now, you know, it's just insane to to think about that. How he comes up with all of that, and how he sort of obviously he I know he doesn't like think about like the entire arcs altogether, but he has basically the structure of it in his head of Punk Hazard, Dress Rosa, and Wano <laughs> all connecting like this—it's just insane to me. Um, but yeah, that's kind of interesting. Just kind of seeing, like, because I remember how confused everyone was when he was talking about it in this particular scene. Because it just—you you can't glean anything until you actually know what a smile fruit is, and it's even sadder when you realize why it's called a smile fruit um but yeah we'll we'll leave that until wano obviously and punk hazard but yeah that's kind of all i wanted to talk about um so yeah thanks for listening and i'll catch you on the next episode see ya